Before we get to today's episode of The Rewatchables, I want to remind you that if you're listening on a platform other than Spotify, you can only hear the last 60 days of new Rewatchables episodes plus a couple classics as well. But if you want the entire archive, which dates back to 2017 and has over 175 episodes at this point, go to Spotify. All of them are there. You can listen to every episode for free. You can even hear us at 1.2 speed, which is my preferred speed for myself. So there you go. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. You know what sounds good after a long day? Ice cream. I love ice cream. Right now is the perfect time to get some. Sonic has half-price shakes every night after 7 p.m. when you order online or in the app. Just think of it. All that creamy, soft serve, hand-mixed with your favorite flavors for half the price in any size. Listen, a lot of people like goofy shakes. I like vanilla shakes. You can throw 40 flavors at me. You know what I'm going to order? You know what I love the most? vanilla shakes. It's perfect because me and my family, at least once a week, we still all get ice cream together when we're together. Grab Sonic Half Price Shakes after 7 p.m. now. Exclusions apply. Available for a limited time only at participating Sonic Drive-Ins. We're also brought to you by the ringer.com as well as the Ringer Podcast Network. Last week on the Rewatchables, we did First Blood and we did The Terminator, two of the most influential action movies of all time, two of the first great modern action movies of all time. Well, this one took it to a whole other level. Coming up. What's wrong with your eyes? <laughs> Terminator 2 is next. Ten years ago, a machine from the future was sent to kill Sarah Connor. It failed. I'll be back. But this time, there are two. One programmed to destroy, the other to protect. Hasta la vista, baby. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Terminator 2. Judgment Day. Rated R. Starts Wednesday, July 3rd at a theater near you. All right, we did Terminator a couple days ago. Now here is Terminator 2. Chris Ryan is here again. We're joined by Van Lathan. Yo, yo. I texted Van Lathan over the break because this movie was on television and I just got sucked in like I usually do. Mm. And was just like, wow, this movie is amazing. I can't believe it's been 30 years since it came out. I don't think it's the greatest sequel of all time. Um, Chris, I think it's the second greatest sequel of all time behind Godfather 2. I, I would put it above basically every sequel we've ever had. And what's cool about it, especially after we watched Terminator, is how they bookend each other so well and how much changes over those seven years and then how it all ties together. I just think it's an amazing achievement all these years later. It's, it still holds up. It still holds up completely. And what's amazing about it as a sequel is how much it improves the original because it was obviously, you know, the, this movie was supposed to be what Cameron made in the first place. A lot of this movie is like his original vision for the for the Terminator. And they, they had budget constraints and they had special effects constraints. And this is really a guy who finally gets the entire palette to paint with. Van, you think this is... He, Cameron calls it tech noir. It's like mm. sci-fi mm. crossed with 
horror to some degree. Is this more of a sci-fi movie or a, or a horror movie for you? I was scared of it when I was watching it last night. I was frightened. I was frightened of the 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 the, the, the T one thousand in a way that I don't think I was even when I was a kid. Yeah, I, I was a little bit scared. He was killing people in a horror movieish way, and I texted you guys that. But no, I, I I agree with that assessment. And to be honest with you, Bill, I think you made the case as to why this is actually the greatest sequel of all time. I think you made that case very compellingly right there without even trying. Godfather 2 is a better movie, but it's in most ways comparable to Godfather 1 in quality, right? If it's better than Godfather 1, which it probably is, it's just a little bit better. The Terminator is a good movie. Terminator 2 is the best action movie of all time. They, they broke new ground. They went all kinds of... Everything changed. It's, uh, it really, in a, in a lot of ways, became the first Terminator movie in a lot of ways because most sort of Terminator movies copy this film more than they do the original. So it, it, in, in, I think it is far and away the best sequel to any movie of all time. Godfather 2 is a better film. This is a better sequel. I have it as, as easily the most important action movie of all time. I, we could litigate whether it's the greatest. I mean, there's been some Die good hard. ones over the years, yeah. especially yeah. the last 30 years. I'm, I'm talking action. Okay. Um, I just know what it was like when this came out. And I think Chris was old enough. And I think, Van, you were probably old enough, too, when this came out in the theater. But, you know, there was a lot of expectation. It had been seven years since the last one. Arnold was the biggest star in the world at that point. And our hopes were high. And yet, this comes out. And it actually exceeded the expectations in the mm. theater. And I, I remember I was a big movie nerd back then, reading Premiere Magazine and all, all the, and reading about what they were planning to do with the special effects, not really understanding it, but seeming like, wow, that seems ambitious. And then seeing the theater, the first time he shot Terminator the 1000, Robert Patrick, and the bullet holes were in his body, and then they sealed up. I can't tell you how incredible that was. I mean, you guys remember in the theater, you were like, what the fuck just happened? How'd they do that? There was so much how'd they do that with this. And I think the, the effects really hold up, Chris. I, I think this movie could come out now and it wouldn't seem crazy. I, I think in some ways the effects feel more real than the special effects we get in a lot of movies today. Do you know what I mean? Because I think that there was a combination of special effects and practical effects that made this movie feel more tactile and still had some like some relationship to like real world physics. Whereas now I think when you watch a lot of superhero movies, despite wh whether they're good or bad, I think that they do feel really, really, really like they are being shot on a green screen that they like everybody's wearing golf balls, everybody's acting against computer screens. They're felt it really does feel like this is happening in a Los Angeles when you were watching it. But your point about like like w w how old we were when this came out and stuff like that. I just wanted to ask you guys like do you remember what a fucking big deal this movie was? Yeah. yeah. There hasn't been anything <laughs> like it since. Like, I remember this whole summer. So this comes out July 4th in 91. Yeah. That whole late spring and summer, all I did, I was a teenager, all I did is watch MTV. And you know, all you saw on MTV was the Guns N' Roses video. Mm -hmm. And just talking about T2 is coming, Arnold, T2 is coming, T2 Judgment Day, T2. And I, I just remember that, that block of time because we talked about this a little bit on the first pod about Terminator about like this really being like the thing that jumpstarts the 80s and the 80s action boom and Arnold and everything. And then this comes out in July and then 
Smells Like Teen Spirit comes out in September. And it's like, it really does feel like the turning of the page from the 80s to the 90s in a weird way if you just watched MTV. But that whole summer, all you saw was Axel and Schwarzenegger. On, mm-hmm. and, and it was like, I anticipated this movie more than anything I could ever remember. Like more than Star Wars stuff. Yeah. Do you remember when it came out, Van? I do. As Chris is talking, in my mind, I'm hearing, you should be mine. <laughs> and it was, and it was, it, it's just, it's crazy. And it's almost a little sad that there was something real about sort of the synergy that movies and soundtracks and event films had. Now, either there's like, Every film is kind of an event film now, right? It's either the biggest thing in the world, the biggest Oscar thing in the world, or it's movies with all of these big-name actors that go straight to Amazon and you don't know what happened. Like, you're looking at you like, Anthony Hopkins, Denzel Washington, and, like, how did that go straight to Amazon? It's like a weird thing. You see all of these movies, <laughs> yeah. like, you don't, like, it's like a weird thing. You don't know why it happens. But uh, this film was just, it took over pop culture. And I just think pop culture is too big now with the internet to be taken over anymore. Yeah, there's no monoculture like that. Right. And so it it, compl- it was everywhere. And unlike another Arnold movie that tried to do this and then didn't deliver quite in the theater, even though it's not as bad as people think, remember it was, The Last Action Hero, kind of, I feel like Last Action Hero kind of ended that. Yeah. It, it ended that whole thing. But this film, I remember the way that I gauged this movie We'll talk about it later on. Is this movie even got to my dad? My dad, who just is incapable of being impressed. <laughs> Michael yeah. goes out, scores 63 on the Celtics. My dad goes, I know a dude named Willie Robinson Jr. from right over there in South Baton Rouge. <laughs> Cut Michael Jordan head off on the basketball court. You tell me nothing about no Michael Jordan. But this movie, my pops, all in, emotionally moved by the end. It was just everybody was in on T2, man. Well, these two, so 1990 and then 91 when Terminator 2 comes out, it feels like the modern infrastructure of how we consume movies is in place, right? Because 90 has Home Alone. It's got Ghost. We've done both of those on the rewatchables. Mm. Dance with Wolves, Pretty Woman. We've done that one on the rewatchables. Hunt for Red October, Total Recall, Die Hard 2, Kindergarten Cop, Back to the Future 3, Days of Thunder. Like, that's all, that's all 1990. And so... There's this whole infrastructure that's in place where we kind of understand what Hollywood's doing. We have a better sense of it. They understand what we want more. There's less competition for our eyeballs and our money. But then there's also like the Premier Magazine and and Goldman's pieces in New York. And and I just kind of understand the industry more. I don't know whether it was the age I was at or whatever, but I really remember enjoying this stuff. So like a movie like Silence of the Lambs, which came out in 91, uh, Cape Fear was another one. Huge. Uh, JFK. Remember all the the JFK? You felt like you you knew a lot about the movie before it came out, which I don't think was in the, the case in the 80s. So for this movie to match what our expectations were, where we're like, this movie's gonna be amazing. And then you're in the theater and you're like, this movie's even more amazing than I was expecting. I was really, it's a real achievement. It's only happened to me a couple times in my life where the movie exceeded my immense expectations. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I think I've had this feeling like th- two or three, four times where, you know, the, the scene when you see Robert Patrick walk through the, the, the bars in this, in this psych ward. And that, that feeling that the audience had, I think has only ever been matched by 
the first time you see the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park and the first time probably like the training scene in the Matrix when everybody is just like you can feel everybody's jaw hit the floor Mm -hmm. and like the wonder of movies actually matches our anticipation and our expectations of what they could do and you know obviously like those aren't the greatest movies ever made but in terms of just like sheer like actual awe at what like they can do on a movie screen like I think I've only had that like three or four times I can tell you what my three are yeah and uh the the first one is is probably T2 like I remember cuz I was the biggest remember I was 11 so this is by far the biggest film I've ever seen in the theater yeah. at this point right so this is my first this is my initiation into this the second time easily the matrix easily the matrix I don't think that'll ever be recreated because we had no we we had high expectations no idea. but we, we had, had no, idea. no idea what to expect from the matrix so when when Trinity got up like that, everybody was like, ooh, what is she doing? Why? And then by the time they start fighting, I'm like, oh, shit, we in here. And then the third one uh, is actually very recent. And it's when Cap grabs me in there in Endgame. Uh, in Endgame, when 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 me and there, the Thor's about to get served by Thanos, and me and there comes over to Cap, and Cap grabs the hammer, I cried. you know what i mean like i actually cried the arc light was on fire chris and bill it was like one of the greatest moments in my life that too is like the culmination of a moment in the same way t2 was kind of like we we were anticipating that too yeah, so I, w- I would also I would throw in Buffalo Bill and Sounds of the Lambs. The this is a monstrously successful movie. It made over half a billion dollars. It pushed James Cameron and Arnold to another level. With Arnold, we didn't know that was possible because he was already the biggest star in the world, and this was basically. We always love to compare uh, movies to basketball in this podcast. This was basically like him, him, the flu game against Utah combined with the last shot in the 1998 finals. Mm -hmm. Arnold's like, I'm already the biggest star ever. Now I'm dropping T2 on you. Mm -hmm. And for Cameron, you know, this sets up everything he's going to do with Titanic, which becomes the biggest movie of all time. There's also a really legitimate point that was hard not to think about even what's happening now as as we're dealing with uh you know all the 2020 21 stuff about computers eventually ruining everything. Yeah. And at the time I'm seeing that in a different framework, right? You think like, oh, at some point the computers they're going to conspire and turn things against us, which is a theme that goes way back to Kubrick and all that stuff. The real, the real way computers have ruined everything is with disinformation and all the different ways people can mobilize now, things like that. But I got to say, I I don't know if you felt the same way, but I watched this movie through a slightly different lens, thinking about all the stuff we're going through right now with the, with that theme of this movie. I'll Does tell you sense? what, though. You know what was actually kind of chilling, too, is just like how different I... Not different I felt about it, but it's, it's weird to watch Sarah Connor now after the Capitol and after all this QAnon stuff because you're just like... I don't know. I mean, it's just weird to see somebody who like would be a conspiracy theorist now, right? You know what I right. mean? Like you would, she would be the person who's just like, you don't understand. Only I know the truth. And you're like, these people are fucking terrifying. The yeah. people who feel this way, but like, she's the hero of this movie. 
But see, that was a different time, right? It was a different, like that kind of denotes that. So there was a time in movies where there was this idea that there was a broad truth that we accepted and that truth was wrong. Even The Matrix. Yeah. Even The Matrix is built on the, the, the sort of idea that there's a broad truth, but there's a small group of people who know the true truth. And it used to be in films that we would give agency to those types of characters, right? Because they're going against everyone else to get this true truth out. Now we're seeing that some things are truths and some things are just dumb, weird lies that can catch fire on the internet. Interesting thing about the computer deal is I was talking to a guy from Lockheed like a couple of uh, like a days ago, just happened to be a guy I was in a conversation with, and he was telling me about... Uh, sort of a plane that they had contracted, a little bit of information on it, and then a new plane that they had contracted. He hadn't worked for them in a long, long time. And he was like telling me how high this plane could go and stuff like that. And he was also like, he says, there's another advantage to the plane is that it's unmanned. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay, that seems like a like a good idea. You know, unmanned. <laughs> and then so I'm watching this scene now, and the scene where Arnold is, and this was great acting by Arnold, and we'll talk about this later, the scene where Arnold is driving in the car and she's like, I want to know how everything happens. And Arnold says, Skynet goes online, this and this and that. And then a couple of days ago, the first unmanned flights begin. And then he looks at her, he goes, Skynet becomes self-aware, August 29th. <laughs> I'm like, oh shit. The movies are warning us and we're just not listening. Yeah. We're doing the same shit. And so, and so in a lot of ways, the movie still freaks me out to that degree a little bit. Yeah, I think it's even... I, I think it's even more disturbing now than it was. And there's some really harrowing stuff in this movie. I mean, the, all the Joe Mooney, that whole 20-minute sequence with him is still among the most the, harrowing. The Joe, Joe Morton stuff? Uh, Joe Morton, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Is still the most, uh, he's some of the most harrowing stuff we've seen in action movies. So the special effects, the creation of it, $5 million, 35 people. Took them about 10 months with all the animators, computer scientists, technicians, artists to create. It was a total of 25 man years. And it was a big part of the selling of the movie. It was like, it was basically like, you've never seen this in a movie before. They also had peak Arnold. Arnold's coming off this run from 84 to 91. Conan 2, Terminator. Red Sonja? Sonia? Sonia. Sonia, yeah. I don't remember that one. Oh, with Brigitte Nielsen. I think like I a, saw that one once. In a turn. Commando. Ooh. Raw Deal with Jim Belushi. <laughs> Jim Belushi, yeah. <laughs> and then Predator, Running Man, Red Heat, Twins. Can we get Total Recall. Oh, we get busy. <laughs> Total Recall, Kindergarten Cop, Terminator 2. We get so he has, busy. <laughs> he has Twins, Total Recall, Kindergarten Cop, Terminator 2, four in a row. And all of those are, are fucking monsters. So he gets paid 15 million bucks plus... They give him a slightly used $14 million Gulfstream jet. That was his salary oh, wow. for this, which is probably worth like $100 million now. But the big thing with this movie and part of the selling of it was the Linda Hamilton piece. Mm -hmm. She gets an amazing shape. We'd never seen a, a female action hero like that. She's got fucking guns. Mm -hmm. She looks awesome. She's been reinvented from the first movie. And that was, Chris, do you remember? That was like a selling piece of the movie. Oh, like huge. She yeah. did three hour, three months of training. She she had a she trained for three hours a day. She lost twelve pounds. She undertook judo and heavy duty military training, um, and that that was part of they sold it. And she transformed. Yeah, and 
I think that was one of the biggest reasons the movie worked because you have this history of her with the bad hairdo in the first one. And now she's this killing machine. Her character transforms too. I mean, she's yeah. essentially like an extension of Ripley from Alien and Aliens meets Schwarzenegger in this movie. And she's just like screaming. And she's obviously, she does such a good job internalizing what this woman must have been through in the intervening years. Like being mm. the only person on earth who knows the truth and being committed to a mental institution and not being away from her son. And it, it just, she does, a, she does a fantastic job transforming that character while still like having that core experience. From a cinematic standpoint, I think that she did something that at the time, I don't think that they thought women could do. Uh, which obviously, to Chris's point, you see that kind of, you see Ripley, you see the same thing, echoes of, of Ripley, right? But she goes from being the complete, you know, Kyle Reese is keeping her out of harm's way to being the most dangerous woman in the world. Mm -hmm. Like, in the span of that time. And I think, I know I had never seen a female character like that. That scene, that's one of the most iconic scenes in film history. That scene where she's turned her bed up and she's doing the chin-ups. Like, that's some Cape Fear shit. You know, that's, that's something you see from the badass. Not even Arnold got an introduction like that in that film. Yeah. yeah, that's a hero shot. And so it was the first time I had seen it. And I think it's something that actually was very, very revolutionary for film, even though we were already in the year 1991 and it had kind of been done before. But that was making, made a huge deal about that. My mom was so proud of that. And I think that the difference with her and Ripley, Sigourney Weaver's, you know, she's like 5'11". Big lady, tall You know, lady. She, she was believable. It's like, oh, I could actually buy this. This is the first time I remember... Somebody who just seemed like a normal five foot four, and she's transformed into when she when she breaks into Joe Morton's uh, house, she's fucking terrifying in that yeah. scene. Mm -hmm. But we also have this is a really interesting year. It was a female empowerment year for movies because you Thelma. have Sarah Connor, you have Thelma and Louise, mm -hmm. yeah, you have Clarice in Sleeping in uh, in Silence of the of the Lambs, and then you have Julia Roberts in Sleeping with the Enemy, and it's kind of it becomes one of the talking points of that year. Like, oh, here we go, females, and that leads to Demi Moore getting all the money for GI Jane, and they kind of rethink this whole thing. But um, Chris, do you remember that whole that whole kind of storyline that year? I just remember just being obsessed with movie stars at that time, and being obsessed with like you know like those. If you, you know, Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon being in a movie, people were just like, let's go see it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if Julia Roberts was in a movie, people were like, let's just go see it. It was, it was a time when I think those movies that you mentioned there, they're relatively high concept, but they're pretty understandable. It's Bonnie and Clyde on the road, but it's two Bonnies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't, it wasn't as, it wasn't like as disposable as it is now with where you feel like the actors are kind of just getting cycled through these giant pieces of IP. That was like the time when people like, those posters, the at the movie stars took up the entire poster. You know what I mean? Right. Jodie Foster won for Silence of the Lambs. She won Best Actress. Gina Davis and Susan Serena got nominated for Thelma and Louise. I think they split the vote. Can I say something about Sleeping with the Enemy real quick before we move on? Just real quick. Do you want to save it for the Sleeping with the Enemy podcast we're going to do this year? <laughs> Are we no? going to do one? Oh, it's on the fucking list. Oh, I definitely want to save it then. I'll save it for sleeping with, for the sleeping with you the save podcast. It. Laura! <laughs> Laura! <laughs> uh, 
So the other two best actress nominees were Laura Dern and Rambling Rose and Bette Midler for For the Boys. You can oh, make wow. a case. Linda Hamilton got completely screwed. I thought she was amazing in this movie. Before I, time. What, what else do you want from somebody in that part? That's a really hard part. She's got to be believable. Time, it, they yeah, didn't nominate. They didn't, movies like this didn't get nominated for those types of situations. They're not really. Well, so then you have Schwarzenegger. I wrote this when I did my, uh, my Action Hero Championship belt that this wasn't an apex. This was an A-fucking-pex for, <laughs> uh, for Arnold where he crushed the science fiction, action comedy, summer blockbuster, three-boobed women, special effects nirvana, and it's not a Tuma, unintentional <laughs> comedy corners, all in the span of like four movies. And I just feel like there had never been a cinematic experience like this movie before I saw it. It was directed by Cameron. He co-wrote it with William Wisher. They gave him $5 million to direct which was also a big deal because I think this was the moment when Hollywood started to realize, oh yeah, may maybe directors, we should be treating them the same way we treat some of these major stars. It was a $100 million budget, made $520 million, Arnold's biggest grossing movie ever, Oscars for sound effects, editing, sound, makeup, visual effects. And it was the highest grossing R-rated movie ever until Matrix Reloaded in 2003. So it held, the, it held the title for 12 years. Roger Ebert, three and a half stars. He didn't review Terminator 1. You missed that, Van. We covered, they didn't screen Terminator 1 for critics. No Roger Ebert review for Terminator 1. Uh, Terminator 2, he said, quote, Schwarzenegger's genius as a movie star is to find roles that build on rather than undermine his physical and vocal characteristics. And just before we get to categorize, I want to talk about that quickly. I just fucking enjoy Arnold. There's just never really been anyone like him. This, this mix he had of, I completely believe what he's doing. I actually think he's underrated as kind of an actor and somebody that the way he surveys the scene and, and the way he uses his body. And he's also funny. Like just him saying certain lines is just, Always going to be funny. They, he's a fucking unicorn, Van. Yeah. You okay? So he got. He's gonna. He's gonna even show out more in True Lies. In True Lies, I I I argue that True Lies is a tour de force performance from Arnold Schwarzenegger. I I, I think it's a great, a legitimately great acting performance. But I'm watching the movie last night, and I'm like, you know what? This guy's a good actor. And, yeah. And and, and and the reality is this: you can even sort of butchers that up against all the other guys who have been cat who we've said hey give them a big role and let them go get it and watch them fail it's happened we've seen it over and over and over guys just not be able to deliver when they're asked to do very little he's just executing this role he's doing slight things with his face with his face to connect to john well, yeah, he's, the way he's interacting with the young boys, yeah. that's like some legitimate acting. He's, they do he's, such a good job setting that up, too, because they're like, they say in the beginning of the movie, like, I can learn, you know? And right. so over the course of this movie, you just watch this guy just add a little bit more and more in terms of his understanding of the human condition. Till, now, by, till, till by the end, it is a legitimately moving moment when we have to say goodbye to this fucking robot. That's just... it. It's crazy. He's he's underrated as an actor to me, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, and that's the that's the thread line when you talk about the greatest action movies of all time. There's usually like legitimately good acting, and we don't think of it that way. But like Speed, which is just 
it's just a really good popcorn action movie. But like Keanu and Sandra Bullock are really good in that movie. You know, mm-hmm. you, you go Hopper's on, Hopper's really good in that movie, man. Right? Yeah. Ra- Raiders like Harrison Ford's really good in that movie, and mm-hmm. I think we forget that piece sometimes because sometimes you just think the structure of the movie is the star, but you also need the people can pull it off. When we did First Blood, like. Stallone has real acting moments in that movie. You know, he's got to do a, a couple different things. And then when he has that monologue at the end, it, he can't like fuck that monologue up, but it's got to be authentic. You got to feel the PTSD and you got to feel bad for the guy and he pulls it off. So, you know, I think when we try to create these new action stars from scratch, which we've had mixed results with over the last 15 years, that that the subtle shit that Schwarzenegger does in this movie, it's it's... I don't know who does that now. You, you guys are way you- into the Avengers universe more than I am, but do guys guys in the Avengers universe have that kind of detail to their performances? Chris Hemsworth uh, is is Chris Hemsworth is fantastic a story. Even before like now, Wahidi well, came in and he changed a little bit of the the, the dynamics of that character, but Chris Hemsworth has been doing work in store from being funny in Ragnarok to being uh, sort of downtrodden in Infinity War and then in Endgame being just completely like depressed and all of that stuff like that, but still very human. So Hemsworth is doing it now. But I want you to think about something. Who is really, there's really not been anybody to get this right. I can think of more examples of guys who have been put in that position who have really royally like fucked it up than I can think of guys who really nailed it. Because like when you, when I, when I think of Solo and this is not to, pound on any like you go see solo and you go yo this movie should be fun like what's wrong with it your lead is not delivering there's something that like that that's missing and i can't really think of that many other guys outside of that guys who are getting that right obviously robert downey jr well yeah i was gonna say the the downey and iron man one is i think a great example of like wow i didn't realize he could do this so you guys are actually talking about this weird shift that happens in those action movies i think around nicholas cage where Mm, they decide to start they decide to start going with teaching action to guys who can already act rather than teaching acting to guys who are good at action. You know mm. what I mean? So then you start getting like these cast words like John Cusack and Con Air rather than some big beefy action star. Or you start getting into these Avengers movies where like Mark Ruffalo and Robert Downey Jr. are coming off of Zodiac and then going to make Avengers movies for 10 years rather than The Rock would be the obvious like inheritor of the Schwarzenegger kind of throne. And he's but, not as good of an actor. He's just Right, not. right. I mean, I think, I, I, you know, now it's like, is it Keanu, I guess? I, I don't know. Like, is it Keanu after Ooh, the Wick movies? Uh, Keanu and he, John Wick, yeah. He, right. That's a great example. Yeah. Yeah, he's fucking well, delivers I was thinking like those. Vin Diesel, you know how much I love the Fast and Furious franchise, but Vin Diesel's, Fairly limited actor. He's got mm-hmm. he's got a couple beats he can pull off. They always give him the one serious scene in each movie where he's like, Van, and he's always has a beer. Van, tell me about your father. <laughs> <laughs> and then drink, tilts the beer up. But right. I, I just think Arnold was a good actor. And I think that's why he was able to pull off some of the comedies. Like movies like Twins and Kindergarten Cop make no sense and should have been a disaster the same way Rhinestone was a disaster for Stallone, but Stallone, uh, Schwarzenegger pulled it off. We're going to take a break. We're going to do the categories. This episode is supported by State Farm. Think about your first reaction after you have an accident. What do you do? You scream, oh no, or man, why did this happen? On the flip side, let's say you buy a new car or you lease a new car. Get in there and it smells great and you're like, man, this is awesome. 
But just remember, really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Spring comes with a lot of chores because, you know, spring cleaning. One thing you can clean up right away, your phone bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. They have unlimited talk, text, data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. $15 a month. That's like you can subscribe to two movie channels for that. I mean, what a great deal. Also, super easy to switch plans. Everyone gets so intimidated by, oh, my God, I don't know if I should switch my plan. It's not that hard. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash rewatch. That's us. That's mintmobile.com slash rewatch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month for a first three-month plan only. Speeds slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. All right, most rewatchable scene. I tried to narrow these down. First one, I just wrote down. Naked Arnold goes into biker bar. I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. (laughs) (laughs) You forgot to say please. What a premise. I know he's already been introduced to us in Terminator, but it is is one of the great character intro scenes, you know? Mm. Give me your clothes. Give me your clothes. Then he beats up the entire bar. Because they're like, you do, like this, this, this you're naked and you just walked into a bar with the Hells Angels. We're not listening to you. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. They could have even gone one one minute more with him just destroying everyone in that bar and maybe a couple more pull cue hits. Uh, next one. So, and this is what over the break, I was in Arizona with my daughter for soccer, and this came on right at this point when John Connor's playing video games in the arcade and Robert Patrick shows up. John, not now, not now. Hey, man, there's this cop scoping for you. Check it out. And yeah, the gallery around it. And yeah. it's just like, oh my God, that's it. That, that that stretch from the moment Robert Patrick's get closing in all the way through the bike chase, Arnold finding it, the truck. Arnold reloading the rifle one-handed on the motorcycle. Yep. It's fucking incredible. I, I'd mm-hmm. put that against any action hero feat. So what is, the, is that like the 20 top minutes? Of the truck coming off? Mm-hmm. From from the Galleria and the hall the hallway shootout where you find out that Robert Patrick is the bad guy and Arnold is the good guy. And that's when we mm-hmm. find out about the bullet holes, yeah. all that. Mm-hmm. Like oh, there's so much shit happening. That yeah. that is like one of the the most thrilling like 20-minute sequences in movie history. Is Well, the, you make the, the key point. We they hid this from us. We the last, assumed Arnold the last was the trailer, bad guy. The last trailer yep. spoiled it. Apparently, I don't remember. I don't, I don't remember, remember that either. But apparently, remember. the last trailer goes, "He's back for good." You know, and it was like it was like a basically a tease that Arnold was going to be the good guy this time around. But I didn't remember that. I remember being in the movie theater and being like, "Holy shit, he's the good guy!" Like I was just, I was, I was. I had no out. clue. Like I remember even when he put the glasses on. I remember my sister murmuring, like, why are they making him look like he cool? 
Yeah, because because she like <laughs> I remember I remember her murmuring like they making him seem cool like he the bad guy, so but 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 we didn't know and that that Henry that Henry axe I don't know that Henry axe lever action four ten, uh, uh, shotgun we went out and bought that gun. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we do in Louisiana. We buy the weapons from the movie. Yeah. The Henry Axe 410, like we had one. Like me and my dad, we never, we couldn't get the, it, I, we couldn't get the twist thing, but we had one of those. I used to hunt rabbits with a Henry Axe 410 because of that movie. I just want to say, the reason why Cameron is just better than everybody else is even while all this stuff is happening and we're building up to these huge action scenes and these action scenes are happening, every single thing that happens in this movie counts and matters. Like, everything that Con John Connor does, like, breaking into the bank machine winds up mattering later when he yep. breaks into Cyberdyne. The foster parents. Yeah, the foster mm -hmm. parents. The idea that he's, like, good at these spaceship video games, it's like, you're kind of like, oh, okay, like, this kid has, like, this weird talent that will later serve him when he is the leader of the human resistance against the robots. Like, every single detail isn't, it's not to waste. It's just everything is used. This movie also has maybe the least rewatchable scene for me of any movie ever, which is the thermonuclear holocaust scene. <laughs> and it, 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 uh, imagine, you guys, you guys are a little older, but imagine being an 11-year-old child, right? And seeing... We were still scared of this stuff back okay, then, Okay, I'm making sure. It, we, yeah. No, that's the thing that people don't understand, that th this was still a thing. People think that that died off with the... No, it was a thing to where you were afraid of that. And seeing an accurate depiction of the uh, the, the the mushroom cloud, everybody's well, on fire. And, yeah. then, and then everybody... Th that's It's never been captured on film to me better than that. And it... And and more terrifying. That's terrifying to watch. I watched it like five times last night. I don't know why. I'm a glutton for punishment. But that's the least rewatchable scene. Even though I watched it a bunch of times. But I don't know why. People it's said that's scary. the most realistic depiction of what that would be like that anyone's ever done. It's kind of a hard to believe they pulled that off in 91. One last thing about this scene. I, I watched Terminator 2 with my son last night. Mm. And we had watched Terminator 1. It's fun reliving some of these movies with my son. He didn't, I forgot about the twist until he, when it flips and he realizes Arnold's the protector and just that voila moment where he was mm. like, oh, he did one of those. I was like, oh yeah, this is yeah. <laughs> Um Next rewatchable scene, I, I just typed down, springing Sarah Connor from the asylum. Yes. This has so many fucking great moments. How about the Terminator coming out of the floor? He's part of the floor pattern mm -hmm. and comes up. He imitates the second security guard. Um, the way she breaks out, she gets her revenge on the creepy guy who licked her. Um, all the stuff she does, she's clearly playing at some good action stuff. The Schwarzenegger showing up, come with me if you want to live. Um, the T-1000 going through the metal bars. That's it. That, I remember that in the theater. Like, whoa, huh, mm -hmm. how'd they people, do that? People were screaming in going the theater. Going nuts. And then at the end, when they finally get away, I mean, all of it is just, the beats are great. The car chase, he gets onto the car, all of it. And uh, and then when he doesn't catch them and he's walking back and there's that puddle and the puddle drips back into his T-1000 body. Mm -hmm. I, it's just start to finish, incredible. And, in the, and that's the moment where you're like, I don't know how they 
beat this guy. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's like, you know, usually with like a big super villain, like he's got an Achilles heel. This guy actually doesn't. <laughs> this guy does not have an Achilles heel. Yeah. They were wasting ammunition just to slow him down. They're, right, they're right. driving around shooting, shooting, shooting just to slow him down, which by the way, brings me to a point that if they had developed, if they had like dedicated as much as technology to making him faster as they did to making him liquid metal, there wouldn't have been a movie. He's running <laughs> at the speed of like a 35-year-old L.A. cop, which I'm sure is great. But why don't you just put, forget about the liquid metal, just put a jetpack in him or let him teleport. I, I always wonder why that's the craziest thing about the movie. He's running after them on foot trying to keep up. If you just give him some super speed, yeah. you can get there, kill everybody. Yeah, What's going man. on? Yeah. Um, next one, the uh, attack in Joe Morton's house. I Fantastic. have this as the single most frightening home invasion scene of all time. Daddy! Daddy! Nobody Daddy! fucking move! Daddy! Don't hurt my daddy! Get down on the floor, bitch. Fucking Don't down now! Daddy. Oh, God. Get out of the way! Don't hurt him! Get on the floor. Fucking down now! And there's been some, I mean, there's a whole home invasion movie genre that you know, right. there's been 10 of them in the last 10 years and they've done this over and over again. But this is how terrified the family is when the when the little son lies on the dad telling him that all of it oh. is just like, it, it almost feels like it crosses a line. It's it's legitimately harrowing. And, and, uh, and then it's like, how do you bounce back? And she starts crying and- <laughs> the uh, the little kid's like, hey, well, show me your room to to uh, Edward Furlong. Hey, show me your room to the kid to try to defuse it. But that that's also like the moment where she's basically no longer the hero of the movie. You know what I mean? Like when mm -hmm. that happens, it's really more like your heart and your like kind of emotions get more tied up with Furlong and Schwarzenegger because she's so off book. Yeah, at she's that gone. Point. Yeah, yeah. And pay attention to John in that scene, right? Yeah, because takes like, over. John takes over. Hey, John, first of all, bro, this is a great film. John is exhibiting the qualities of a leader in yep. all in this whole movie, right? When he goes to rescue his mom, she tells him not to do that, right? She tells him, "Don't think about me. You're too important. Think about yourself." It's not a good leader. Good leader doesn't do that. Good leader thinks about his troops, thinks about people close to them, and tries to protect them. That's how that leader gets loyalty from those people. John Connor is a good leader. He's also principled because, like the Terminator says to him, he says, "Hey, it's it's like it's possible that killing Dyson will prevent the war," and he goes, "So what? That's not what we do." We don't do that. And as soon as they get there, he knows exactly what to do. Hey, he knows the kid can't see that. Mm -hmm. Too traumatic. Hey, come show me your room. They go show him the room. Show him your robot. Cut your arm off. Right, right away, all of that. So as the movie grows, there's a power shift. Like this is actually a movie about John Connor becoming the leader of the resistance as well as it is yeah. about people protecting him. That's absolutely right. Next scene is the, uh, the scene where Joe Morton dies. Jesus Christ. Um, when uh, 
just that that whole act. I mean, that's an unbelievable action scene. There's multiple mo- moments where you have no idea how they're going to get out of it. And I mean, the scene of him holding the detonator and doing the breathing <gasps> and the breathing slows down. It's just like one of the most memorable moments of the movies. I think he's great in this movie. Um, but then Schwarzenegger taking all the bullets, them trying to figure out like him going through the wall. There's three unbelievable action scenes in this movie. Like three of the best action scenes, I think in any movie and they're all in this movie. And the cool thing is I'm sure you'll mention this in half ass internet research is that they knew it during the making of it. Like the, the the helicopter pilot was doing shit no helicopter pilot in a movie had ever done before. Like yeah. they were doing stuff with motorcycles that nobody had done with motorcycles before. They they were doing stuff with big rig trucks that nobody had ever tried in a movie before. Like they were all pushing it so hard in this movie. Now I, I saw this movie at the Cortana Mall Theater Six, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, South Baton Rouge. You guys realize that we all knew that Joe Morton was dead. <laughs> the minute that he showed up on screen. I just want to make sure you guys knew that. We knew the minute that we saw him, oh, this dude, he's not going to survive. The clock was ticking. <laughs> his, de- his death is harrowing in this movie. It's so scary. Like, it's, it's like, it's so scary. It's like, he went out like a Gito. Um. I have just as a quick rewatchable scene, just the liquid nitrogen truck exploding and the guy <laughs> getting out. It's just, it's so great. Arnold, mm-hmm. huge mistake shooting him. Just let him be frozen. Right. Shoots him and it allows him to reboot. But then uh, the last scene when Arnold dies, I order you not to go. And then right. Arnold Arnold drops, he's missing an arm. He's got mm-hmm. half his face is gone. And he goes, I now know why you cry. <laughs> it should be so corny, but it's right. not. You're like getting choked up. I know now why you cry, but it's something I can never do. It's like I'm getting choked up by this cyborg uh, Terminator that he's got to die in a fire. Um, Chris, what's the most rewatchable scene for you? Uh, it's the Galleria plus the 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 Valley like L.A. River chase. That 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 was like I had I, ne- I needed to be hosed down after that scene the first yeah. time I saw it. Amongst the most rewatchable scenes in action movie history, so it, it for me it's like yeah, come on man. Also, it's fun now that we have giant TVs and clear pictures where you can see like the two spots where it's clearly the stunt double for Schwarzenegger on the bike. Love it. I don't mind that. I'd rather have that than CGI. And also, like he's so believable on the bike. Like the one-handed reload, which they said he worked for like a month for, and at one point accidentally hit Edward Furlong with the rifle and like gave him like a mild concussion. Um, he really took that stuff seriously. As you know, Chris, this is a theme in the rewatchables. I love when the actor throws himself into a completely stupid, meaningless pursuit, like yes. learning how to play pool. Right. Um, <laughs> learning how to reload a rifle with one hand. It's the, it's the Tom Cruise thing, but I yeah. love it every time. I just want to say almost all of these rewatchable action scenes that we've pointed out, when you're watching these, you know exactly where you are in the space of the scene. Like when you see the the asylum breakout, they actually yeah. like lay out what that asylum looks like, like so that you're like, oh yeah, now they're running down the hallway. It's not like quick cut, quick cut, quick cut, close up, close up, close up. It's like, oh, they go through the security booth, then there's the hallway, and then there's a U shape because she can see on the other side that the security guard walking. Like you kind of know everywhere you are, and that's especially true for the. The, the the motorcycle truck chase 
where you think he's safe because he's on his little motocross bike. And then this fucking truck just jumps out of the air and you're like, well, it's going to land on its... Oh, no, it's not going to land on its face. It's going to land on its wheels. This kid's dead. Yeah. It's he, the difference he, between... He's so good at that stuff, Cameron. It, it, yeah, it's the difference between spectacle and experience. Yeah. So, like, those those like huge, the movies that we watch now, they're, they're experiences that you can't really articulate, right? Because like, if you're going back and forth to Titan and all the stuff that we can do, they're spectacles and that's like why you're so into them. But this movie feels more intimate. It's you're like, you're right there with them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that gives you some latitude. Like the one for me is when they're coming out of the hospital and the T-1000 has latched on now, yeah. when that scene pulls out, that's very obviously, obviously a dummy that's on the back of the the. the mm. th- it's very obviously, but the thing is, you can't care because you're there with them. You're in the scene, and I think that that is kind of what you lose when you go to too much CGI. Yeah, you you lose the feeling, which is why like the Dark Knight and all of that stuff works because that's traditional special effects for the most part. Because you're right there with them, it feels intimate. It feels like it feels like you're getting stabbed when someone's getting stabbed. It's like a different. They don't make them like that no more. A good example of that spatial awareness thing is when they're breaking out of the tech building, and the T one thousand goes back in to look for them. Somehow you know what floor he's on, and yes. that he's on a different mm-hmm. floor yes. than them. Like that little subtle shit. All right, next category is what's age the best. The idea of a Terminator two Mm-hmm. Who's who's been improved? Who's now made of liquid? Who basically? I just all of that is fantastic. Um, also, how they avoided letting us know Schwarzenegger was a good guy this time for most of the leading up to the movie. I th- had that as what stage the best. All right, young Robert Patrick, Robert Patrick running, and Robert Patrick quickly murdering people with metal hands. I have that as a three way tie for what stage the best. <laughs> Is was was Usain Bolt faster than Robert Patrick? Like, if they were side by side, who wins? I I think it's Robert Patrick, but I actually have written down why didn't he just morph into a member of the Jamaican track team? Yeah, <laughs> or like or, or like I think I think is he? That's a glitch in the T one thousand. He could have morphed. There were some fast guys at the time. He could have morphed into Michael John uh, Michael Johnson. Sure, those guys you could maybe morph he did. Into. How do we know he didn't? <laughs> we don't know if he did or if he didn't. Santa Monica Track Club is out here in L A. This was in L A. Could have morphed into Carl Lewis. Those in guys, the research, he, in the research, they said he took the sprinting so seriously for the technique, all that stuff. He was so fast when he was chasing the motor scooter, he was actually catching up to the motor scooter and they had to tell him to like <laughs> slow down. Chris, is he one of the great movie athletes of all time? I mean, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> he has to be, right? Yes. How did more movies not take advantage of this? <laughs> How do they not just make the bionic man with them? They wouldn't have even needed special effects. Bring the bionic man back. Make him Robert Patrick. I also, another what's age the best with Robert Patrick, he ends up having this kind of weird career where like he's in Copland, he's in the Sopranos. He has like a really important Sopranos side role, and mm-hmm. he's in a bunch of action movies. But Strip-tease. always trying to break away from like this Aryan Terminator that they basically made him out. He's got he'll have beards, he'll have dyed hair, but he you could see he's kind of felt like he must have been trapped a little by the Terminator Two guy. Um, I always every time I saw him for ten years, I'm like, oh, Terminator Two. He reprised the role for one scene. And Lash Action Hero. That's right. Right? Yeah, like, so So I thought, like, he must have been just like, fuck it. 
Arnold yeah, asked me to come do it. Like, why not? He's good in The Sopranos. He's great. Uh, I'll be back. I like that they brought that back. What's wrong with your eyes? <laughs> love that. <laughs> I love this is a borderline rewatchable scene for me when he's teaching him the American lingo. And he's like, say no problemo. Say hasta la vista, baby. You say chill out. Say dickwad. And then Arnold's like, chill out, dickwad. And mm -hmm. it's just, it's really good. It shouldn't work, but it does work. Affirmative. No, 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 no. You gotta listen to the way people talk. You don't say affirmative or some shit like that. You say no problemo. And if someone comes off to you with an attitude, you say eat me. And if you want to shine them on it, Hasta la vista, baby. Hasta la vista, baby. Yeah, or later, dickwad. And if someone gets upset, you say, chill out. Or you could do combinations. Chill out, dickwad. That's great. See, you're getting it. You mentioned the nuclear nightmare, how, uh, how fucking, I, I don't know how they did that 30 years from now. Chris, this is one of the only movies ever helped by narration. Oh, yeah. For Usually sure. narration is a sign that uh, something was wrong with the script and they had to add some stuff after. In this case, I liked the narration. I liked her voice. I thought it worked. Yeah. I, th I mean, like we can talk about the alternate ending because I think that that's supposed to be sort of where the narration is originating from, right? But yeah, yeah the narration's great in this. Van, are you pro or anti-narration? Because I'm all-time anti. Depends on the movie, uh, obviously. But I think most of the times... Uh, it sucks, but then I think of movies like Stand by Me, mm -hmm. where or Shawshank, or Shawshank, or Goodfellas, I mean? yeah. or Goodfellas. You guys, we're naming some pretty good movies, <laughs> and then I think that it works when it's sparse. The more the narrator has to jump in, I think probably uh, the less of a film you have. So, the idea to destroy the Cyberdyne systems to prevent future war was from the first Terminator movie. It was cut. It was in the, it's in the deleted scenes of the first movie. Cameron banked it. And then it turned out to be the nucleus of Terminator 2. I have that as a what's age the best. The what's age the best decision to cut that scene from Terminator 1, allowing us to have Terminator 2. Thank God they did that. Hasta la vista, baby, was just a thing. It was a thing people said for a while. It yes. was an in iconic pop culture sentence this is mm -hmm. this movie has two just absolutely like every like my mom was saying i'll be back to i'll be you. back right i'll be back hasta la vista baby she'd be like and stand then, with the shopping cart i'll be back <laughs> right <laughs> and then uh the last one i had was the terminator when he just coldly says to uh john connor it's in your nature to destroy yourself oh, wow <laughs> and you're Bro, like wow that's this, hitting close to home right now. This movie, I'm telling you, it was a tough watch for a little neurotic, anxiety-written Van Lathan. Yeah. I was like, they show the kids, and then like I would turn to my like my parents, and my dad would be like, "Nah, you're right." I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? You're like, "Nah, he's right." He's like, yeah. Any other would say the best for you guys? Uh, Rat Boy John Connor, and like his whole vibe: the Public Enemy T-shirt, the motocross bike, the arcade, arcades, little yeah. scams. Mm -hmm. Trying to like just you know not not getting along with his foster parents like the the conceptualization of this future leader of the resistance being this basically like teenage delinquent is is great and for a long I mean like we can go back and forth about whether he fucks up some scenes or whether he's great in some scenes but to just find that kid standing outside of the Pasadena Boys Club and be like do you want to be in a movie <laughs> is is a real like one in a million you know yes yeah, totally. 
Uh, do you want to have the furlong conversation now? We are, we're gonna have to get to it at some point. But but one thing that really aged the best that we didn't even know aged the best was the idea of the police as the bad guys. Yeah, like it is and the Ca- first. Cameron one. knew that too. Oh, Cameron, did he? He was like he. I think that this movie has a very like. Uh, healthy skepticism about the police force, you know, and like about the dehumanizing aspects of it. Well, and there's some real shit going on by late 80s as they're yeah. conceiving this movie. And I, I think he was okay with working that in. Right. Would be so my the, guess. So the first movie I'd ever saw where somebody in a police uniform is the bad is the bad guy. It's the first movie I ever saw when the when, for me when I was the Well, thing. think about like even two years earlier, they make colors with Robert Duvall and Sean Penn. Mm-hmm. And it's basically like these these LA cops just trying to keep the peace with all these crazy gangs, and mm-hmm. they're just the heroes in it. And that was the mentality. You're right. right. This was the first one that flipped it. But well, we'll go to what's age the worst, and we could talk about furlong. Actually, let's take a break, and then we'll do that. All right, what's age the worst? Let's just do furlong here. Um, I think if this was a basketball stat line. I think he made like five threes. I think there's like seven turnovers. He's probably like 10 for 25. There's some assists. It's it's a scattered box score, Chris. Would be eight. there's some good things, there's some bad things. There's there's LaMelo vibes where you're like, I don't know, I didn't know what I was gonna get. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. a little uneven in places, but then every once in a while there's a pocket pass and you're like, oh mm. shit. Ooh, furlong. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Van? Same thing. You it gives you glimpses to where you go. If that consistency could be maintained, he could be one of the best. There's, the, he, he's got the, the, the kid. He always he ha- always had something. Like there's something that he understood, but it just seems like, for whatever reason, creatively and to a degree personally, just couldn't get out of his way. I, I, I had this in recasting couch, but I'll just do it now. I think if this movie's made two years earlier, they can use Leo. Man. Leo's too oh. old now by the time they do this. Growing Pains Leo is like the all-time greatest version of, of this of this character. He could have pulled it off and it goes to a whole other level. If you go five years earlier, eh, that, no, more than that. It, 85 maybe. So six years earlier, then you get the River Phoenix potential. Yeah, I was going to say- River sl- Phoenix in this role, I think, C- is also- Christian Slater or River Phoenix, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, I think the timing of what teen actors were available, and even Furlong's like 13, but playing a 10-year-old in this, which, so they had to get somebody who is a little, you know, seems smaller and younger than they actually were, but- um I, it's fine. He doesn't, I don't feel like he hurts the movie, but I do think you wonder what it would have been like if you had had an all-timer in that part. Uh, more would say the worst. Just, we talked about earlier, the reveal that Arnold was a good guy, that's aged the worst from the fact that nobody remembers that that was such a huge part of this movie at the time. It's just, it's how I it think goes. it's actually the opposite. I think people, I, the kids that I let, like my nephews and stuff like that, they're surprised that Arnold is the bad guy in the first Terminator. Because oh. they've only ever seen yeah. that character as an ally of Sarah Connor and of whomever else is running from the Terminator, John, whoever you got. Um, why do you cry? It's corny. I would have cut it. <laughs> I know it comes back. It pays off later, but it's just it's, it just seems a little corny. I didn't like when he asked that. that so another what's age the worst, which I didn't know though I did the research, was Furlong really aged during this shoot? 
his voice began to break. They had to like do he was post production. Like David Robinson on the submarine. He had like a like a growth spurt, like where they had yeah. to like reshoot some <laughs> scenes because he was like towering over people. They had to um, <laughs> stand at one point. He had to stand in a hole in the ground in order to maintain the height difference with him and Linda Hamilton. I just went through this with my son. My son grew like five inches and his voice changed in like three months. We were like, mm-hmm. what the fuck's going on? <laughs> right. um, I can't imagine if you cast somebody for a movie and that happens, what that must be like. We'd be like, wait a second, this kid's voice is changing. What do we do? We've already filmed all this other stuff. So um, That's so appa- funny. They had to Apparently, loop it, right? <laughs> yeah, they had to loop a lot of it. Apparently there's this, if you see the scene in the desert, he's the youngest there. Versus where he is in different ports of the movie. Anyway, I, I don't have a lot of what's age the worst for this because I think this movie is pretty flawless. Do you guys have anything? I, I nah. honestly don't. <laughs> yeah, no, okay. not really, Doc. Uh, casting what ifs? Chris. Yeah, let's talk about our boy. Tough guy. Tough day for the beehive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bean was the first choice for the T-1000. They were going to roll reverse it. Mm. And, uh, and they decided it was too confusing for... The viewers. I think it it just would have been too fucked up for Sarah. You know what I mean? For her to see the father of her child as this as this ultimate killer coming after her. Hot take. I kind of like it. I mean, it would have been cool. Yeah, (laughs) I think it would have been good. The 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 role thing. Um, Cameron, one of the people he he got really ambitious with the T one thousand. One of the people he really considered was Billy Idol. Hmm. And Billy Idol had a bad motorcycle accident. He couldn't run. So they abandoned the idea. But that was kind of, he envisioned somebody like that. Another one that he had was the lead singer of the heavy metal band Wasp, Blackie Lawless. (laughs) Blackie Lawless. He was considered, but he was too tall. So they got rid of him. Um, They also, off this this one blew my mind. Van, sit down. Oh, you're sitting down. Thank God. Mm -hmm. Because you love the movie What About Bob? Oh, love it. I have you penciled in for that one too. Yeah. Um, the kid from What About Bob, Charlie, Charlie Corsmo, yeah, was supposed to be John Connor, but was oh. already filming What About Bob and couldn't do it. He was in a. He was having a moment at that time. Yeah, Char- I don't know if Charlie I believe Corsmo. him as. I don't know if I believe him as a juvenile delinquent though. Nah. Yeah, yeah, but he was having a moment. That was his, he. He was having a little run, right? Yeah. He. Yeah. It was the, the, Cor- the Corsmo maniacs were really they were really going nuts back then for Corsmo. Right. Um, all right, Vane, still sit down for this one. They offered uh, the Miles role to Denzel Washington. To what? Well, th- that's a little ambitious, guys. Like, <laughs> <laughs> wait, what? First of all, no, no, no. Depends. What year was this movie shot? Nineteen ninety. Right? He wasn't. Right. He wasn't officially like a a plus list Denzel Washington yet. He was. He, he, was, he it. it was Academy Award winning though. Glory had already come out, right? He wasn't like come out, next yeah. to Tom Hanks in Philadelphia Denzel yet. I think. I think that Philadelphia would have to be. That's when the, he blew up. The, the time that you thought, but still though, it, it was still Denzel in his um uh, in a phase to where he was doing the Spike movies. He was a leading man. We knew we knew Denzel. We knew where it was right. headed. It was like Luka Doncic right now. We we know where it's going, but he wasn't there yet. So it wasn't crazy that they offered it to him. Here's why I turned it down. Quote from Denzel. No offense to Jim Cameron, but when I read the script, I thought all he does is look scared and sweat. I had to pass. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Denzel. Uh, there you go. You know? I think three years earlier, it's conceivable he's in this movie, though. I think I think he was a little too famous at this point. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Uh, best that guy, aka the Joey Pants Award. 
This has to go to Sarah Connor's doctor because he's in the first one too. I still mm. don't know what that guy's name is. We covered this in Terminator One. I, wh whatever that guy's name is, <laughs> that and uh, the 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 twin security the twin guards, security guards, another one. Yeah, those guys popped up a couple of times in the nineties. And then his friend, John Connor's friend, that he goes. Oh, to that the kid was in with. a lot of shit. He was in um. He see, uh, he looks like the kid who's in Big, but it wasn't. I checked. It's two different. Oh, for real? Kids. Oh, yeah. it is. Oh, well, then yeah. I don't know. I thought I thought that was him. I legit thought that was him. Well, so he could be that guy who I thought was the kid from Big, but it wasn't. <laughs> right. That, that kid. Yeah, that, that kid. kid. Uh, Vincent Hanna, give me all you got award for best overacting. This is this is definitely Hamilton. Everybody, him, you, you're dead already. This whole place, everything you see is gone. You're the one living in a fucking dream, Solomon. Because I know it happens. It happens. <laughs> this is not, this is not You're a all gonna die. You're all gonna die. Yeah, On August 29, 1997, it's gonna feel pretty fucking real to you too. <laughs> You're dead anyway. You know you all dead. I believe it. Open the door. Anyone not wearing two million sunblock is gonna have a bad day. Get it? <laughs> you think Cameron was just like okay? Alrighty. <laughs> were they? Oh, they were married like then, right? They had they had been married before. Oh, were they at this point? It, I did they he ever marry Hamilton? Cameron? Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah, in the mid she, got, so. she got a okay. shit ton of money when that went. Like, she got broke off. When <laughs> that he kind of he ended up falling for the lady from the Titanic, Susie Amos. Yeah. Mm, who kind of partially ruined Blown Away with Jeff Bridges. Um, <laughs> That's what ruined Blown Away. <laughs> yeah, this is one of the many things. <laughs> Deanne Waiter's award for, for best heat check. I think it has to be Robert Patrick, but you could make the cases in this movie too much and maybe shouldn't be eligible for this. So if that's the case, our guy, Joe Morton. Yeah, it's Morton. Jordan he's Morton. he's yeah, fucking Joe awesome. Morton. Morton yeah. he, we're saying Robert Patrick's ineligible. Vulnerability uh, at first. I mean, really, it's really more vulnerability. But then after a while, you know, he becomes a part of the tactical team, you know. Yeah, uh, but he was he was dope. When he just shows up at Cyberdyne with like this weird group of people, he's like, I just want to give hey, them a tour. Give yeah. them a tour at <laughs> two in the morning or whatever it yeah. is. Hi. Uh, Carl, right? Yeah, friends from out of town. I just thought I'd Hi. take him upstairs and, and, and show him around. Mr. Dyson, now you know the rules concerning visitors in the lab. I need written authorization. I, I insist. I, I have more Joe Morton stuff coming up later. The recasting couch. I, DiCaprio as Furlong. I think the way to do it would have been, if you think he's the guy, you make him 13, nudge it to 1997 and say the nuclear war was happening in 2000. Like, who cares when the mm. nuclear war was? Couldn't we have just fudged it? I think because they already laid it out in the first one, though, right? Right, they had to stay clear. Did to they stay say the nuclear war was in 97? Yeah. I think they yeah. did, yeah. I think they I have, say a, I have a recast. That's the that's judgment day, I think they say. I have a recasting couch, and it's more because of my respect Let's for the actor. Michael Bean as the T one thousand. Michael Bean, yeah, right. Michael Bean as the T one thousand. Oh, so you big, yeah, yeah. You would have done that. So you would have done that. I would have done that because I don't think that Michael Bean has got the respect. He's the ultimate glue guy actor. And uh, you're, you're just this is porn for Chris yeah, right we, now. We, like, Chris, Chris gonna have, have a cigarette as he listens to this. Yeah, man, I'm a, I'm a bean beanhead from way back. He's 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 the president <laughs> of the Bean Fan Club. <laughs> he shows up in awesome shit, and then he disappears, and then you go, yo, what about that guy? 
Does yeah. he ever? If he has, he's, is he ever gonna get his love? Get his flowers? They made this gigantic fucking movie. He was the whole hero of the first movie, making pipe bombs in the goddamn hotel room and the whole nine. And then they all come back to the party, and he's off somewhere shooting Tombstone. Another great performance. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, you know, I would have brought him back. I'm, as I'm Kyle glad Reese. he got dapped up to play to be a Mandalorian this season. That was fun. that was great. It was great yeah. to see him in Mandalorian. Great. What a three minutes for Chris there. Half-assed internet research. <laughs> the uh, the movie was delayed because of the technical limitations regarding the computer-generated imagery. And then uh, there were some intellectual property disputes that are really boring to lay out. But basically, Hemdale Film Corporation owned 50% of the rights, didn't want to do a sequel. Uh, Carolco, is that how you say it, Chris? Uh, Carolco, yeah. Carolco? Yeah. They wanted it. Hemdale starts having financial problems. Our guy, Mario Kassar, oh, we talked about in the first this one. Is, Anytime you see that guy. This is so great. I mean, this is obviously a 90s movie, but when anything has its roots in like the 80s action scene, there's always like two producers who are also Israeli arms dealers. Yeah, like, like you got... Local. <laughs> You know like I mean? It's always like some like, and like then there's like a, a, this guy owns a copper mine, and Bro, he's gonna kick in five it's mil. So crazy! Like I'm about to say, low key Black Hawk helicopter dealers <laughs> or something like that. Like just weird guys that are involved in all of this stuff. Man, we covered in the first blood pod. We covered Mario Kassar and Andrew J. Va- Andrew Vanya. G. Vajna, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is definitely two, might have been two made-up people <laughs> that were the front of some They're Israeli. literally bad guys in action movies yeah. who are producing action movies, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Mario Kassar pays Hemdale $5 million for the franchise. Hemdale's See? like, cool, we're having financial issues. We'll take the $5 million. Big yeah, mistake. No, the I movie makes movie, $5.20. The movie itself actually cost something like $51 million, but it was like 100. a $100 million budget because they had to pay Arnold, they had to pay Cameron, they had to pay all the people who own pieces of the movie. Yeah. But the actual shooting of the movie didn't cost that much money. True. Relative yeah, it was like twice as much for the other cost. So they had a national search for a steel mill suitable for the film's climax, ended up being the dormant Kaiser steel mill in Fontana, California. Chris, we should uh, go down there. This one blew my mind. I didn't know about this. Linda Hamilton has a twin sister named Leslie. Yeah, I knew that. Mm-hmm. And they used her in some of the shots. I think I knew this and forgot it. So anytime you see two Sarahs, it's her sister. My favorite Linda Hamilton fact from this movie is that she blew her hearing out shooting the gun in the elevator because she oh, forgot yeah. to put her Oh yeah, I had that in. coming, yeah. yeah. See, she forgot to put her earplug in they do the shot scene and her hearing's never the same, but it was her fault. Um, for the Sarah's nuclear nightmare scene, they constructed a cityscape of land of Los Angeles using large scale miniature buildings and realistic roads and vehicles. I got this for Van for Christmas. I was going to put it in your living room, Van. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I appreciate that. You can, you can simulate the nuclear blast, but that's how they did it. The uh, Terminator 2 Judgment Day special edition cut contained 15 minutes of previously unseen footage, including scenes with Michael Bean reprising his role as Kyle Reese in a dream sequence, Chris. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Chris is like, I know. Don't act <laughs> like I've watched this on YouTube. Um, so this is weird. Cameron said, not only was the biker bar scene filmed across the street from where the LAPD officers beat up Rodney King, but that they were filming the night of the beating. Just randomly, it was literally right there. Now we so know who got go. the footage. I always wonder why that footage looks so good. <laughs> it was James Cameron. Because that was James Cameron on the 
Um, for the sound of the T-1000 passing through metal bars, the sound designer inverted an open can of dog food and recorded it as it oozed out slowly. And that's what that sound was. My, my, see what I'm talking about? That's just yeah. a much better fucking story than we had some sort of high-tech computer do the thing. That's just fucking movie making, man. The identical twins, Don Stanton and Dan Stanton, also in Gremlins 2, the security guard guys. So Cameron and Hamilton got in a relationship during this movie. Cameron was still divorcing Catherine Bigelow. And then they ended up getting married and then got divorced again. I think Cameron's been married like four times. Yeah, five, I think. Cameron was such a perfectionist on this movie that this was really the movie when he just became a, a complete dick. And his crew members started wearing shirts that said, Terminator 3, not with me. It's <laughs> like a subtle <laughs> fuck you to Cameron. And then uh, in one take of the motorcycle chase, Schwarzenegger accidentally hit Edward Furlong in the eye with the shotgun. And uh, and they had to stop the filming and Furlong was kind of whatever. Mm. Uh, Apex Mountain. Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'm going to say yes. I, I think this was it. I think you look at those four movies in a row and then this one, and it was like, I would have believed him in anything, even him being the governor of California, I would have been ready for. He was so. on the president's council of fitness back then. You know, like he was really, he was making those moves. My son said yesterday as we were watching this, he's like, dad, Schwarzenegger was the best bodybuilder ever. And then he was a big movie star. And then he was the governor of California. <laughs> he said this to me like I didn't know any of these things but I was also really impressed I thought maybe he was like that's the that's the path I want to follow but maybe <laughs> don't roll him out Linda Hamilton I'm going to say yes Furlong yes Robert Patrick yes Robert yes. Patrick running yes James Cameron still no I still think it's Titanic, Titanic. Right? yeah what about um? I think it's Avatar stop it what about I, Titanic? I, I really, Titanic's I, the biggest movie of all time. But it's not. Avatar is. <laughs> yeah. Avatar. And, and, I don't and, feel and, like Avatar held like the consciousness. No, Avatar the way just, look, I, I look, I, first of all, I've I haven't been problematic on this podcast. So I'm going to go ahead and be it right now. Okay. First of all, Endgame is shout out to my nerds out there. We took the, the title back. We always <laughs> yeah, it's inflation. It's a fake, right. it's a fake title. We got the title. <laughs> but uh, but no, I, I still I still think Avatar is, but I'm just saying it to be contrary. Okay, uh, Chris, insane asylums, Apex Mountain, because we Ooh. have this and Silence of the Lambs with oh, yeah. Migs and Hannibal Lecter. Ninety one is a great year for, for what an insane asylum year. Plus, yeah. we got to meet Migs. It's it, it we we it took the title from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, how about Chin Ups? This, this yeah, year, the Cape Fear as well. It was yeah, a, it you was have Cape Fear, and you have this movie same mm -hmm. year. To, to really a chin ups, just like chin -up it, just like also like the home gym really comes into into play. Here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was this the apex of any actor in the history of movies sprinting? Ooh. Have we ever done better? Did Cruz ever mm. top Robert Patrick in this movie? Cruz would be it, the other candidate. Cruz is why can. Real quick, we really associate Cruz with running too. Cruz runs so much in he runs every, in every movie. movie. He loves every, running in movies. He, he loves running in movies, but no, he never quite did it like this. It's menacing run. Until we have Usain Bolt cast as like a cop in an <clears throat> action thriller where he gets to run in the streets of LA or something. Um, I would say, yeah. uh, pre CGI era sci fi. 
I, I would, I would, Star I guess. Wars? Yeah, I mean, I would, I'd say aliens and Star Wars and Star or something Wars. like okay. that. Yeah. So no. Yeah. Uh, how about arcades, Chris? Never got any better for arcades. Last Starfighter? No. We, we like. I guess this is the this is the peak. This is. I think the last time they were they really worked in the arcade into a movie. Yeah, because it's like yeah. Tron, Last Starfighter. Because video I, games just take over at this point, and then yeah. people start Everybody's playing video games crib. at home. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Nobody went to a fucking arcade in like 1995. Do you guys think that this is Apex Mountain for one-liners? Hasta la vista, baby. Yeah, one like for the sign-off line, like the the hammer line, like. Well, maybe, maybe Matrix, maybe I know Kung Fu. I don't know. I feel I like I feel like I'll be back in Hasta la vista, baby. Are like. Yeah, it doesn't get much better. Commandos and I, and I, I, I would say that this is, for me in my lifetime, Apex Mount for summer blockbusters as an event. As a, so as I would like, argue this movie created summer blockbusters because once it did so well, then that event, I feel like Speed was the first intentional summer blockbuster where they were like, let's speed this up and we'll, we'll launch the summer with this movie. And then everybody's like, oh. Right. Like, I don't know if that was, do you think that was really part of the strategy or was, because we talked about this during Jaws. Jaws was the first summer blockbuster, so that's, but it so wasn't a lot intentional. People are gonna, a lot of people are going to pick, uh, the, a lot of people are going to pick the bone, like that's the bone they're going to pick. Uh, but I, but to your, I think the summer blockbuster became something different. It became a mixture of a really good film with really good talent and this pre package pop culture sort of thing. The promotion of it, yeah. The promotion, which is like, and we we see this kind of go crazy, right? Because afterwards, a couple of years from now, you're going to be, a Batman movie is going to come out and you're going to have to get the commemorative cup from McDonald's and all yeah, of that yeah. stuff. Like, everything goes together with Seal and Kiss from a Rose and all of that stuff. And I think T2, to me, was the first time I felt like a movie onslaught. Yeah. that that And Jurassic, yeah. Jurassic Park 2. I don't know how intentional it was. I think, I wonder if we learn from this movie, oh, that's the formula for now how to do this going forward, or if they knew this in 1990. I just think they spent so much money on this movie, it had to make the amount of money it made. And they mm. were going to do everything they could to make sure that this was like the only thing that people cared about. Schwarzenegger's in, he's in the You Could Be Mine video. Yeah. So like he's in the video. At the end, the Terminator shows up in the video. Picking nets. John Connor's only supposed to be 10 years old in this movie. <laughs> I had a 10-year-old boy three years ago. 10-year-old boys are morons. I, I just don't think they would be this resilient and uh, and smart and worldly and all this stuff. It, he feels like a 13-year-old. Yeah. It's a stretch. It's a nitpick for me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we covered this in the Terminator 1 podcast, but we learn in this film that Sarah was 18 in 1984, which is kind of like... Uh, wait a second, what? Right. She's an 18-year-old waitress? She's a waitress. She had her own place. Yeah, it's, you know it I mean? seems, seems like uh, a reach. Uh, another nitpick. Why didn't they just send like 25 people back to protect John Connor? See, this is why I love this movie. Who cares? Yeah. Okay. They never, even, they never even open themselves up to this discussion. Like, if you read the Cameron interviews, he's like, yeah, my idea is that they have this like this demon that they can send back after the first one fails. So they send this guy back. And so then the, uh, the response is to send back one guy who's been reprogrammed to protect John Connor. And it's like, it turns it into a Western where it's the good gunfighter versus the bad gunfighter protecting the kid. And 
uh, do you never even get into like timelines and like, well, okay, if Dyson knows, doesn't that mean that this doesn't happen the way it does? So then like, why would the Terminators be back here then? Wouldn't that erase the future? And it's like, no, man, it's like, it's just, it's just a really, really great story. Van, one of my favorite Chris Ryans is purist Chris Ryan. Purist. That's right. That's right. So you're right out of the noise. Ryan. Stop overthinking this. Just enjoy. Just get in your seat and fucking enjoy the ride, man. <laughs> and to be honest with you, this is why, as the Terminator, this is why this is Apex Mountain for the Terminator franchise as well, right? Because as these movies go on, it gets kind of hard to litigate some of these these time vortex warped things situations. And by the way, it's been it's given us great sci-fi, but it gets it just gets more complicated throughout the rest of the time that they make these movies. They keep trying to reboot it, and they can never quite get back there. Two more small nitpicks: no cops were killed at the tech factory that Miles worked at during that shootout with a hundred million things getting shot at everybody and then Arnold those- scans it with this thing. It's like human casualty zero. zero it's like, yeah. all right, maybe one person got hit in the neck. Do the by Terminator movies I- invent first person shooter games? Uh, maybe. I hadn't seen that done before. Me neither. The gun that he uses with the circle, the circular, circular the, motion bullets, the, the Van Lathan like, family uh, rifle. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever that thing is. Henry X. Yeah. All right, here's my big one, Van. If Arnold can't self turn, if 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 Arnold's the robot can't self terminate, mm-hmm. why would he allow Sarah Connor to terminate him? Aren't you still self terminating? You've told somebody how to self terminate you, and you're still holding onto the chain, and you're dying. Like, I think I think he, he can't complete the action. I think he knew he had to self Well, you know, I, actually, I don't know. Because remember, the mission objective changes. And see, that's another thing. If he's sent back to protect John Connor, is he sent back to protect John Connor specifically from the T-1000? Or is he sent back to protect John Connor, period? Because if it's period, then he should really stick around for the entire 120 years. That's what years I'm saying, Chris. That, mm-hmm. he, that, that, that he can live. But if it's just from the T-1000... And their mission objective has changed now to getting rid of Cyberdyne and Skynet, then he has to kill the chip in his head. So I don't know how that's supposed to go, but it, he, he does kind of you know jump in the lava or whatever. He could have done the, I'm going to stand here and pretend I'm looking over here. Just shove me in. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, could this be remade as a 10-episode Netflix show? I think that the, the subsequent sequels have shown that no. <laughs> Unanswerable questions. Probably unanswerable questions. Wait, Van, do you like any of the sequels after Yeah, this? he does. He likes Dark Fate. You like Dark Fate? <laughs> no, I like... I, Dark Fate is okay, but I like Salvation. Like, Salvation? For some reason, I got into Salvation and the whole Sam Worthington. I was all in on Sam Worthington. Oh, that's when the I Christian Bale one? That's the Christian yeah. Bale one. So Salvation, I dug for some reason. I thought it was cool. Probably unanswerable questions. Sarah Connor, rough hang going forward? Not, Not a fun the, hang? No. Does she date again, Chris? What happens with her? I don't think she does. No, I don't think she did. That's it? No dating? Anything? I think that she starts a blog. And she right. starts she, she starts railing against the government and against the- What do her next few years look like? <laughs> does she open like a little shop in Mexico? Like yeah, at, I that, think she probably she, opens like a tamale stand and just kind of like does some like out, outdoor training for people, you know, like- Oh, like she bound. becomes a fitness instructor. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 
Do you yeah. think she launches what's that uh what's that bike company, Soul Cycle? <laughs> down the road. <laughs> she saw the future. She she runs Orange Theory now. Right. <laughs> Would you want to go on a blind date with Sarah Connor? Any blind dates for her? Nothing. She's just shut off. No, so she can teach you how to dismantle a Glock 40 and put it back together. Like no, it's like she's not gonna be cool. She's <laughs> she's she's right for the end of the world, Bill. All right. So <laughs> we're gonna go with Ref Hank. Um what would really happen if a liquid nitrogen truck flipped and broke in half? Because I feel like also, everybody kind of got off on Have you guys ever there. seen a liquid nitrogen truck? <laughs> ever? <laughs> on the highway? <laughs> I see a lot of shit on the 10. But not, it just feels not like a- that would have gone a lot worse in real life. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, man, there's liquid nitrogen. I also hate that in the Terminator movies, there's never any traffic. Right. Uh, Everybody's no, just like, Especially in, in LA. Yeah. Right, in LA. It's fine. Zooming along. Right. Yeah. Uh, Van, every time the T-1000 regenerated, how did it end up still having cop clothes on? That's the thing. Is Wait. So, because they come naked. Yeah. And then they regenerate with clothes. Yeah, I don't well, get they, that it, part. It, it regenerated with clothes. I don't... I don't, I don't but I wanted, it never was naked again because it would regenerate into other clothes. So, yeah. can it just change the clothes? Which, once again, scientifically wouldn't make any sense, but I don't know. I don't understand it. Um, so... As soon as Miles blows up, why didn't that change everything in the future? Wouldn't the Terminators have this just is, this disappeared? This is the Marty, the Marty McFly question. He blows up. The Terminators just, everybody disappears at that point. Right? But if you watch the subsequent movies, there's nothing that you, they, they explain in Terminator 3, which I watched in theaters, there's nothing you can do to stop Judgment Day. It's like, it, you can't stop it. Like Judgment Day is uh it's an eventuality. Yeah, Dark Fate, it's like there's another company that comes along. Right. And it's like, well, you guys moved Cyberdyne out of the way, so we were able to like we were able to do this. Oh, but we don't know that at the end of Terminator 2. No. I just we assume don't. they've averted nuclear war and all this other stuff. So well, then... that's why the end of Terminator, the, the alternate ending suggests oh, like I, I broke my head broke. Sorry. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> my, brain, my brain's broken. Ow. Ow. Okay, I'm back. Yeah. The alternate ending suggests like, that it's what? like a happier ending rather than her like driving off into the night. Mm. She's like, we avoided it. We did it. Van, what piece of memorabilia would you want from this movie? The gun. I tried to go buy it. We bought it. We went and <laughs> see like, like yeah. Well, I would have want the actual the actual gun. The the I think it's the cool one of the coolest weapons in movie history, the uh the Henry rifle that they had. I would have wanted love to have had that. I want the public enemy t-shirt. Mm-hmm. I want the robot arm that oh, Joe Morton had. Yeah. In the glass case. I just think that would be a cool thing to have in the living room. Hey, what's that? Oh, that's the actual Terminator 2 robot arm. You should get one of those, but like when you get inside, it's just a, a Jason Tatum jersey. <laughs> <laughs> He's holding a Jason Tatum jersey. Uh, who won the movie? Mm, Schwarzenegger, I think. Nah, Arnold. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's so be much Arnold. of a, it's it's like a great performance on top of like the kind of like, oh, this is cool. Like he's this bodybuilder who can like run around like in Terminator. This is actually a good performance. And this is when he's the biggest star in the world. And yeah, I think that it's a really, it's obviously like a dope movie and you should give Cameron all, all of the praise you can. But it's, it's still Arnold's movie. Of all the great teams that he's played on, teams being movies, this is the jersey that's going up. The rafters, yeah. Mm. In the rafters. This that's is the a jersey. Good, that's a good way to end this, Van. I mm. like that. Yeah, nice one. Van, Chris, pleasure as always. Good to see you guys. You'll Peace. be back. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's it for the Rewatchables. We'll be back Monday with another classic. See you then.